As we mentioned a couple of weeks ago, everything is about fellowship. God's purpose in creation is fellowship. God, God's purpose in creating us for fellowship is not that he needed fellowship, but that he wanted his fellowship to expand. The uh, eternal God is an eternal fellowship. There's a triune God, which means there's three persons in one God, and those three persons are engaged in an everlasting, always has been, always will be relationship in which they enjoy one another's company. And when they made us, the purpose of that creation was more of that. So we are made to walk in fellowship with Him and out of that to walk in fellowship with everything and everyone else. And in the fall... We broke fellowship. That's the very nature of sin. Is that anything you do, act, say, think, or are that breaks fellowship. Christ, the Son of God, the beloved Son of God entered into the fellowship of man, the fellowship of the creation. From the fellowship of the Creator, He entered into the fellowship of the creation to do what was necessary to bring us back into the fellowship of the Creator. To fold us in again into the love of God. There's another name for this. Alive. You were dead in your trespasses and sins, in your alienation from God, but God, because of the great love with which He loved us, made us alive again in Christ. And in doing so, made us a union. He didn't just bring me into that reconciling work. He didn't just bring me back into the access to the throne of God. He brought us as one new man in Christ. And so we are called to be that community of the love of God. I, it's not just I'm called to be a good Christian. You're called to be a good Christian. We're called to be a good Christian. And so the church is at the heart of the mission of God. We're not just 
saved each and every one of us, we're saved all of us together. To be a fellowship that exhibits His fellowship. Oh, when two of us get married, that's one of those two. It is to be an exhibition of the fellowship of the triune God. It's also to be an exhibition of the fellowship of Christ with His church. It's a bigger deal than just whether you have a happy family or not. A much bigger deal. It is where we bear His image. And so the church is also a very big deal. We are the people of God, the children of God, the family of God, the building of God, the temple of God. We don't gather on Sunday mornings just to be encouraged, though we certainly are. We gather on Sunday mornings to be together and in being together to bear His image. When we greet one another, when we share His love between us, we are building up the body of Christ. We are becoming stronger in our fellowship, in our unity, in our oneness. And that is how anyone knows we belong to Him. Jesus said that Himself. This is how everyone will know if you're My disciples, if you love one another. So our fellowship in the church is supremely significant. It's not just so that I can be a good Christian. That's often how we teach it in the world today. We teach something like the church. Well, the church is like Walmart. Except it's where we go to get our religious stuff. It's where we go to get our spiritual needs met. Well, and it is where we go to get our spiritual needs met. But it's not a consumer business. It's a family. It's a person. A single person. The body of Christ. So, we don't want to approach it the same way we approach getting our other needs met. We want to approach it the same way we approach getting married. We're entering into a union. We're entering into a community that is the community of the new birth. It is the community of Abba. We're the people who can address Almighty God as Dad. 
So it might be important who is in the position of shepherding among us. Well, it is important. It is important. Who are the elders? Elders are like big brothers in the family of God. People you might look up to, want to be like. I have a big brother all my life. I can't help myself. I want to be like him. If he talks a certain way, I talk that way. I remember I had this experience one time where I was talking about my little brother who at the time enjoyed, still does enjoyed country music, which I didn't think worthy of enjoyment at the time. And my little brother was listening to Willie Nelson or something like that. So I was talking to my big brother about my little brother, how foolish he was to listen to and enjoy Willie Nelson music, which is, of course, a foolish thing I was doing. Anyway, and he just casually said, well, I kind of like Willie Nelson. Guess what happened to me? I didn't want it to happen. All my friends ridiculed Willie Nelson fans. But when my brother just said, I kind of like Willie Nelson, guess what happened to me? I actually started to like, really like, Willie Nelson music. I gave it another chance. And when I gave it another chance, I kind of like Willie Nelson. An elder should be kind of like that, the big brother that you want to be like. Well, I want to look at the Scripture, what the Scripture says specifically about what sort of person an elder should be. It's kind of intimidating, actually, when you read it. But first, I want to talk about what elders are called to do. And there's several Scriptures I've listed for you, and we're going to go through this kind of quickly, but I'm going to try to tie everything back to those Scriptures. Okay, so the first thing an elder should be, and I might have changed this, the order of these things when I, since I printed the bulletin, because I wanted to put this thing first, which is the elder should be a followable, that's a hard word to say, follower. The first thing an elder should be is a follower, not a leader. In fact, in the biblical understanding of leadership, all leadership is following. All leadership is following. If you read through, and I, when I was temporarily crazy enough to try to get a PhD degree, I studied this. I did a study of leadership in the whole Scripture. I read a lot of books, and I looked up what the Scripture says. And here's the thing I came to. The thing, the, the, the 
the very base of all leadership in the Scripture, which means in the mind of Christ, is exemplary following. That what an elder is, is the one who diligently follows Christ. So that if you follow them, you will follow Christ. Paul says this explicitly a number of times, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, imitate me as I imitate him. All leadership is good imitating. I almost called this talk, talk imitation shepherds. Because if you look at an elder, that is what you should see. A shepherd who is a shepherd because he's imitating the shepherd. So the very first thing is follower. This is the thing you most need the elders of this church to do. See and chase Jesus. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, we run. The second thing is he's a shepherd. This is the word for pastor, actually. The word pastor just means shepherd. And you should probably notice that pastor is a function, not an office. <clears throat> but a shepherd, a shepherd is a person who leads a flock to the best pastures. So when I stand up here and preach, I'm trying to lead you to the best spiritual food. So all I really want to do is try to explain as clearly as I can my best understanding of what the <clears throat> Word of God says. To lead you to the best pastures. To keep you together. To keep you fed. To keep you well-exercised. Something shepherds do. Sheltered rested. So every week we go out from here. This is the place from which we go out. This place where we come together to rest in the Lord Jesus and what He has accomplished for us. It is not where we come to get our marching orders. It is where we come to... And it is from that receiving of the grace of God that we have the power and motivation and impulse to love people in the world, which is to obey His commandments. Shepherd, elders are supposed to be shepherds. 
Do you know of any flock of sheep anywhere where some of the sheep are shepherds? That's an odd thing. I think most flocks of sheep, I don't know if they have, I don't know enough about sheep, but I don't know that they have sheep in the flock that are shepherds to the other sheep. But here in this flock, we do. And that's what you should remember, (laughs) that those of us who are shepherds in the flock really were just sheep that might be slightly better at following the shepherd. We keep an eye on Him. That's what we do. We should be people who can be relied upon to know where the shepherd is and to help the other sheep go that way. Another thing that in these Scriptures the elders do is they're overseers. This word sometimes gets translated bishop. I don't really like the translation bishop because it's come to mean people who are in charge. An overseer is someone who keeps an eye on things. That's that's a little different. And elders are in charge in a certain sense, but not like we normally mean in charge. A bishop keeps an eye on God's people, an overseer. This is a literal translation of the Greek word. It's two, it's a combo word. Overlook. <laughs> Oversee, it means someone who's watching out. It's more about taking, pe- taking care of people than it is about supervising people, though it does include a certain degree of supervision. The next thing an elder should do is he's a teachable teacher. So he, he teaches. Elders teach. <clears throat> in fact, this is probably the most time-consuming function in which they're involved. <clears throat> or should be. El- elders are diligent to learn the Word of God. They should be students because, of course, remember... The thing is, exemplary following. How do I follow Christ? I learn the Word of Christ. Elders are diligent to learn to the Scriptures, learn the Scriptures, hold to sound doctrine. So as the text says, they are able to teach. I'm grateful that the text doesn't say gifted to teach. In other words, they're not, they don't have to have some special talent or special spiritual capacity to teach, but they have to be able to. They have to be inclined to. They need to be able to explain their own following. In other words, if to be a leader in the church, to be an elder in the church is to be a follower that can be followed, then I'm learning the Scripture in order to follow. And I should be able to explain what I'm doing to you so that you could also do it. 
That involves teaching. And in the text in Titus, it says, able to exhort in sound doctrine and to refute those who contradict. So, an uh, elder should have some theological skill. He should be familiar enough with the Word of God that when he hears something that doesn't fit it, and many things that don't fit it are justified on the basis of it. Many, lots of false teaching quotes Scripture. That is something to bear in mind. Lots of false teaching quotes Scripture. So it takes some skill to know it well enough to spot the counterfeit. And to call it, call it. So elders need to be teachers. Then another word that uh, Peter uses here is steward. That's an interesting word. It's actually the word from which we get the English word economy. How about that? Oikonomos. It means house manager. So elders are called to be God's house managers, keeping things running, <laughs> uh, keeping things operating smoothly. There's a certain administration involved, a certain bookkeeping involved. Uh, there's maintaining of good order, a certain sort of discipline maybe among us. And as stewards, elders are called upon to be the people who equip the saints. This is in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, that pastors and teachers are given to equip the saints for the work of service, the work of ministry. Now, in that text, I have to point out to you, who's supposed to do the work of ministry? You think it's me. That text says it's you. You think what I do is ministry. And you might forget that what you do is ministry. Or ought to be. That what we have pictured in the book of Ephesians is uh, leaders whose function is to prepare everyone else to do what needs to be done so that we all together reflect the character of our Savior. We build up the body of Christ. We grow stronger in fellowship. People come into the fellowship, and so it gets bigger, and it gets stronger. It grows. When those in leadership are equipping the saints to do what is necessary to be done, that's a stewardship. That is why I encourage you all, every Christian has some role to play in the life of the body. Something to contribute. Now, that doesn't mean a job on Sunday. I mean, it might mean that. It can mean that. It does mean that for me, obviously. It doesn't necessarily mean that. But everyone 
in the body has a function to play in the mutual loving service of the body. That can be simple and nearly invisible, like somebody who prays, who keeps track of what people's needs are in the church and just lifts them before God all the time, prays for us. They maybe don't even tell us. Maybe someone here is like that and I don't even know. can be that hidden. Or it could be, you know, somebody helping out in the kids' Sunday school or with the sound crew or with the youth group. Or we need people in all these areas. We, in all of these areas, are shorthanded. So what I'm supposed to do is prepare someone fill those gaps. So this all comes back to the elders or stewards. Finally, we're prayers. Now this is a bit of a frame because what we're pri- our primary mode of leadership is to follow well so that we can be followed. And our primary way of that is prayer. You've heard me say from time to time, the entirety of the Christian life can be described with a single word, prayer. If you ask me what did Jesus die for, it was to make prayer available to us. It was to open the door to the throne of grace. There is nothing we do that is more important, more significant, more real than praying. There is nothing I'm praying for that is more important than the fact that I can pray. Now, I've said that a lot of times, but I mean it. The fact that I can pray, the fact that the door of God's throne is open to me, that God considers me his beloved son, that I can address him as my father and expect him to care for me and bring any little concern or need before him and know and be confident and hope in him that he's got it all in view and is always proceeding according to what's best for me, that openness, that access is a much bigger deal than any of the things I'm asking for. We think the point of prayer is to get stuff from God when God's already promised that He's given you everything you need. <laughs> The whole point of everything is the fellowship itself. So elders, if they're going to be followers that you can follow, well, that's where they're going into the very presence, into the holy of holies, the temple of the living God in Christ by the Spirit. Prayers.
So that's what elders should do. They should follow. They should shepherd. They should oversee. They should teach. They should steward the church, manage things, and pray. So then we might ask the question, what kind of people will be good at that? What kind of people? And if you read these texts in the Bible, they're like little lists. What sort of people might be expected to function in this way? Do these things. Shepherd the church. Now, I'm running out of time, so I'm going to have to go quickly now. (laughs) The first thing I want to say is they should be mature and wise. They should be mature and wise. The very word elder is kind of a funny word to talk about the people that are in the office of leadership in the community of the church. It means old guy. That's really the very meaning of the word, presbyteros. It just means old guy. It means someone who's well-aged. Now, there are some people who aren't very old who are well-aged. We have an expression in English, at least. We, call, we might call someone an old soul. Of course, nobody ever calls anyone my age an old soul. You only say that about young people who are, for whatever reason, especially mature in their outlook. So they should be mature and wise. Well-aged, it means a mature, even-keeled person. Here's what happens as people grow older. They, they sort of level out. Or should. Not everyone does. So just because you're old doesn't make you an elder. They're an even-keeled person. They have hard-earned good judgment. They have the good judgment that comes from making a lot of bad judgments. They have spiritual discernment. They know the Scripture so they can tell, "Mm, not that. Another example of this is in in the text, in this text, it says this guy should know how to manage his own household. Keeping his children under control with all dignity. How does he keep his children under control? With dignity. That's a strange method. His children are under control because his children truly respect him. He's the sort of father kids follow. Oh. Well, that makes sense then, because he's got to be the sort of person we can all follow. God's children, we're going to follow this guy. He needs to be the sort of person we will follow. He's mature. He's wise. He's trustworthy and responsible. He's a person whose word is his bond. If he says, I will, he will. Uh, One example of this in the text is he's faithful to his wife 
Now, it doesn't actually say that like that. It doesn't say he's faithful to his wife. It says one woman man. That's literal translation. He's a one woman man. He is a devoted person. And the things to which he devotes himself, he is devoted to. And when he starts to feel less devoted, he remains devoted. He doesn't give up in his devotions. There's not a person in the... I I have to be careful here. There's not a woman in the whole wide world that won't sometimes be very difficult to love. This man is a one-woman man. Why does that why do we care what his relationship to his wife is like? Because it tells us something about him. We I mean other than that it doesn't much matter. Well, it matters in their relationship. But if we're talking about what qualifies a person to be the follower we follow, we need somebody who's faithful and responsible. And if he says he will, he will. He takes care of his children in a way that leads them to be respectable. He's well-respected in the community, this says. How does a person get well-respected in the community? Well, they're trustworthy. That's really the bottom line. If he says he will, he will. He's above reproach. Nobody has anything on him. Some people will not like him, and they will try to put something on him, and it won't stick. He is who he appears to be. The third thing here is he's thoughtful and clear-headed. He's thoughtful and clear-headed. He's not impulsive. He's not all over the place. He's not a drinker, for example. He's not a fighter. These are things actually mentioned in the text. Now, when I say he's not a drinker, I don't mean he never has a drink. I mean he's not a drinker. He doesn't submit his mind to anything that muddles his mind. He stays on point. He's not a fighter. He's not looking for trouble. He's not rebellious. He's not arrogant. He's thoughtful, clear-headed. He acts on purpose, for a purpose. He knows why he does what he does. He's self-critical. He's ready to receive good advice. He's a follower we can follow. He knows bad advice when he hears it. (laughs) He's good at saying what he means to say. That's not a simple thing. That takes some time to develop the skill of really saying what you mean to say and not accidentally saying something else. He knows how to be clear-headed. Then he's friendly and generous. This text says hospitable. 
An elder is good with people. A good elder loves helping people. He wants to help them to be their best. He shares his resources. He's generous. He's giving. He is especially giving others the benefit of his experience and wisdom. He's hospitable. People can relax and be themselves around him. People, when they're in the company of a person like this, they're not nervous to be in his company. They're not worried whether they're going to be accepted or not because he's accepting. It reminds me of Philemon. Paul wrote the letter to Philemon, and he says about Philemon, the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. And I read that and I think, oh, you know, Philemon was one of those guys that if you just spend a little time with him, you'd enjoy yourself. <laughs> you'd be like, wow, that was, that was great just to be with that guy. It was refreshing to their souls, their hearts. That's a person whose company provides rest. Oh, so they're following Jesus who said, come unto me and I will give you rest. He's friendly. He's generous. He has high hopes for people, but he's not needlessly demanding. Like Jesus, he's full of grace and truth. He accepts everyone and he looks for ways to help them grow. Then the next thing is he's holy. Here's what that means. He utterly belongs to God in Christ by the Spirit. He is 100% owned by the holy God. He sees himself as God's and for God and only for God to serve only God's purpose. He is a consecrated man. He never forgets his status as a redeemed sinner. He rejoices in his salvation. He is zealous for the truth of God's Word, and he loves God's people. Holy. The last thing on this list is he's eager. <laughs> he's eager. No one needs to beg him to do this. He serves joyfully. The Scripture uses this phrase, he aspires to the office. But then it says, whoever aspires to the office desires a good work. In other words, the only reason he aspires to the office is to get to do the work. And if somebody aspires to the office for any other reason, uh, it 
So he's mature and wise, he's trustworthy and responsible, he's thoughtful, clear-headed, friendly, generous, holy, eager. Ah, man, I'd like to meet this guy. <clears throat> At this moment, I feel like I want to remind everyone, remember, he is one of the sheep. He himself needs shepherding. Then I want to point out there's several things interestingly missing from this list. Here's something that's not on the list anywhere in the discussion of eldership in the Bible, vision and strategy. We have a Lord already. He has a vision and a strategy. I want to figure that one out, not come up with one. Here's another thing that's not on the list, worldly success. Here's another thing, authority. The New Testament has a word for authority, and elders have a certain type of authority. But in all of this discussion about what kind of person you should look for or what they might do, exercise of authority is nowhere on the list. In fact, if we look at Mark chapter 10, verse 42, Jesus called them to him and said to them, you know, those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles, lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them, it shall not be so among you. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Whoever would be first among you must be the slave of all. Even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. In the study of leadership among Christians, at least, we have a, we have a phrase that we like to use. We call it servant leadership. Servant leadership. In other words, we say leadership is a service. Leadership is something, is a way leaders serve. If I want to lead, I must serve. I think that's an incomplete understanding. Jesus isn't just saying the mode of your ruling and exercise of authority should be a mode of serving. He's saying ruling and lording is out. It is really upside down. You, you can't run a workplace like this. This is not a workplace. So I'd like to just turn the two words around and say, instead of calling it servant leader, let's call it leading servant. Because now we're back to follower you can follow. Now we're back to follower you can follow. The authority elders exercise in the church is not the same as the authority that's exercised in the world. The authority in the church is in the Word of God and in the Lord Jesus, who is the Word of God in the flesh.
That's the authority. There's one Lord. So if I'm to have any authority in your thinking, I only need to be teaching you what the Word of God says. Then the authority that is exercised by elders, and there is a manager kind of role here, right? We already talked about that. Is more like the guidance of the wise older brother, not the direction of a boss. If I want to help you, I'm going to say, well, I think what would be best for you is if you proceeded this way. Oh, and by the way, that's the way I'm also proceeding. It's the good guidance of a wise older brother. It's not a boss. The church is an organism, not an organization. The church is a family, not a business. Now, in our modern mindset, we think in commercial terms all the time, every day. It's really hard to get this idea out of our heads when it comes to church. But it's very important that we do. I hope as you're thinking about who you might nominate to serve in this role that you would think about these things. Now, we do have to be gracious. I read this list and I'm like, oh, well, I'm going to have to quit. If I ask somebody, do you think you're qualified to be an elder? And they say, oh, yeah. Well, that answers my question. Not the same way they were answering it. These are things we aspire to. And, oh, by the way, because an elder is a follower you can follow, this is just a list of something like What's a good Christian look like? It's not like only the elders are supposed to be the husband of one wife. These are for you too. These are the things you should be looking to develop in your life as well. I, I just want to pray for all of us as we think about, you know, we're, gonna, we're going through this nomination process. It's the right time to be thinking, oh, well, what is it, what are we aspiring to as the Lord's people, as a church, as the body of Christ? Let's pray. Father, this is a challenging list. And Lord, I pray that we would put aside every weight, sin that so easily entangles, 
and run with endurance the race that's set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and the finisher of faith. Lord, we trust in Your leadership. I pray for the elders of this church, Lord, that You would produce these things in us and in every person in this church and in every person in Your church everywhere. That these things would become more and more real because we rest ourselves in Christ and run after Him. Thank You, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.